Um, before I actually uh, offer tonight's talk, I just wanted to say a little something um, <laughs> about uh, just a reminder to all of us to uh, take care of the silence. Yeah. So... Um, I think one of the particular um, aspects of this this retreat environment is the uh, is the silence, and I know that you all um, appreciate and, and value that and take care of that. Um, but it's just yeah, a gentle reminder and request from us um, just to to really uh, honour that as much as possible, uh, knowing that it is um, one of the ways that we really support each other and really allowing each other uh, that space and perhaps just an uh, underlining of just how precious and rare this is to have this silent environment, quite unusual. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for, uh, thank you for taking care of that. So um, tonight I wanted to offer some reflections um, around this theme of uh, joy or happiness or um, that uh, quality of, of, of joy, different, different qualities perhaps happiness or ease or um, many facets to the kind of happiness that um, we find in and through our practice. And uh, I know that here uh, different kinds of practice, that we're not all practicing in exactly the same way. And to honor each, each, each path, each one of our, mm, you know, way, ways, um, maybe somewhat unique to each of us. Um, and also that my, my sense of the Buddha's teachings and is that there is this different ways uh, he emphasized happiness yeah? and that as part of our practice as part of um, understanding and practicing the path, path is 
And, and I feel this for myself that it's still somehow an inquiry and a question and a, a how to um, tune into the happiness aspect <laughs> of our practice. You know, it's, it's so interesting because maybe, um, you know, it's um, understandable that um, we often feel like it's all about the dukkha and it's all about... Um, dealing with what's difficult and I know that's been a tendency for me um, but to see and to really uh, maybe it's a kind of an aspect of right view is to see our practice to see the whole path as maybe different kinds of, of wholesome happiness of, of skillful happiness um, that lead to the highest happiness. Yeah. And um, so maybe, just as much as you're interested to, just like what would it, what would it be like to uh, view our practice in that way? <laughs> just, as I say, this is still an ongoing question, inquiry for me. Um, but to... To be able to validate and uh, honor the, you know, what the Buddha would point to as wholesome happiness, as skillful, as uh, something to, you know, enjoy and to make much of, to abide in. As I was mentioning yesterday, with mudita, spiritual joy. Um, that this this can be a path of joy. And so what I'd like to do this evening is um, just offer a few reflections on how different aspects of the path or of our practice or of the teachings, how we can view it as what I'm, I'm calling strange happiness. <laughs> strange happiness. Because it's not based on craving. <laughs> right? So this is kind of the theme of this talk. And it, it's following on very much from, from Joseph's talk on Monday. My hope it, um, it kind of, somehow I'm hoping it kind of goes with that talk in some way. So this is the, the refrain, if you like in this talk is strange happiness. <laughs> yeah. And maybe for you in your own experience, you know, right now or today, is there a sense of, again, you might use different words, you know, contentment or ease or a quiet and enjoyment of being or, you know, just Ah, is there or has there been a kind of quality or a, thing, a strand of, ah, that might be another <laughs> encapsulation of the talk. Ah, <laughs> it's 
through everything like a kind of thread of joy and maybe um, yeah we'll see so so Joseph talked a lot about um, the first kind of craving the the uh, uh, craving for sense pleasures and um, the the second craving he mentioned is this uh, becoming being the craving for existence for for being at all or for for um, like he was saying no planning <laughs> how we're going to be in the next moment how this talk's going to be oh, good luck with that um, this 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 leaning forward um, this it's so subtle sometimes, isn't it? It's almost like there's a very, very, very shimmery sort of projection of some image of how we want to be that's like floating in front of us, like a sort of ghost. So we can't quite be here because there's that, you know, just, uh, just there. So... The if-only mind, I wanted to mention that. There's so much, you know, don't want to say too much about the craving, but if only, fill in the blank, then. And how much of our life and our, um, yeah, uh, our practice, you know, gets kidnapped Sometimes think of it like craving is like this kind of, you know, like comes and kidnaps you, carries you off in a sack. You know, or I like sometimes the image of, yeah, the thief craving. The thief. And it's a, and it's a liar. It, li- it tells lies. Yeah. If you know this is going to be, this is going to be, you know, <laughs> great. <laughs> ah, wow. And in that, in that, when we're taken into that, when when we're not, yeah, boy, it's it's like we, our life, our actual life in this moment is stolen away from us. And you know, isn't that happening in such a subtle way so much of the time? Like, how fully are you really here now? <laughs> and I know this is this is one of the great, again, kind of refrains of our practice. And this, ah, and so we are we're so deeply conditioned, as Joseph was saying that. I feel like there, there's such a, we need to have such respect and patience and, and um, yeah, respect for our willingness to even attempt to <laughs> know this, to, to abandon this, as the Buddha said, let go of craving, 
Yeah, I mean, this is... And to consider the strength of the conditioning from, you know, our past and our family and our culture. And it's so... It, it, if we make it into an individual enterprise, we're going to feel permanently depressed. <laughs> you know, something like, I've got this and I have to overcome it. You know, like, woo. It's like, for me, somehow that sense of, oh, you know, this is the conditioning. This, this We are programmed for discontent. So... You know, and maybe this is one of the strange happinesses of, oh, doesn't that kind of make it less of a personal failing? (laughs) And doesn't that kind of like, oh, for me, I can almost feel like a sense of sort of like lightning, uh, a bit more space. And the third craving, I I very much wanted to mention, because for some of us, this can be very predominant and I think sometimes underestimated as the aspect of craving or a form of craving that is so, is just so entrapping if we don't uh, know it in ourselves, in our experience. And that's the the, the craving for non-existence, this the vibhava, that the wanting to not be, to disappear, to be small, to be invisible, to wish it would all go away already. <laughs> you can tell I know this one. Actually, <laughs> this is probably, you know, this is quite... Again, different tendencies, temperaments, perhaps for some of us, it's like, you know, without really realizing our, our whole life can be dedicated to trying to get away. Hmm? And it, it's, it's sort of a way of life. And we don't really know it as that because it's so ingrained. It's so, like, part of the texture of our mind and our existence which can be true with any of the craving, you know, any of these three three forms. Sometimes I, I share something from my life when I was much younger, and, well, short story, going through, coming coming out of a very difficult period, and one moment when something, again, partly to do with having started to meditate and have therapy, there was a a moment, a morning on a railway station in London where I suddenly woke up to the fact that I had woken in dread every morning of my life. And I had not realized that. I know that's a slightly dramatic example, but... I think that it's the it's an example of how we can live in a shadow, you know, or in in something again, like the the, the sack, where we don't realize we're we're in it until we realize. And 
that that these that that these things are not to be judged. You know, they're to be um, to have a lot of compassion for the ways that we get, uh, yeah, ensnared, and how practice can help us. You know, again, strange happiness of waking up to our dread or to, you know, whatever it is. You know, sometimes I'm talking with with you here and it's like sometimes people say, oh, you know, wow, I just, it's amazing just to see how much anger there is in the mind or something like that where, but actually that strange happiness of, oh, it it actually feels really good to, to see it. So, hmm. so it's not easy what we're doing. I think that's again perhaps important to um, emphasize. But as the Buddha would say, you know, you know, I wouldn't ask you to do this practice if it wasn't um, for your welfare and benefit. So we, we, we discover that. We discover that that's true for ourselves. So maybe I'll just mention some of the other things I was reflecting on, which are a strange happiness in the sense that they are kind of counter-cultural or counter certain stream of self-concern or self-obsession or the self, the, all those selfings that go on. And um, dana, you know, generosity or giving. Again, it, it, it kind of, it goes against craving, doesn't it? It's the, it has this kind of energy of sharing and giving and offering. It's like, it doesn't make any sense from the point of view of <laughs> getting and having and getting rid of and it's it's like it's sort of this other mode and well you all know don't you just the great happiness this great happiness of giving and here we have the the dana you know for for the lunch and the meals and how i don't know about you whenever i look at it a kind of wonderful sense of joy and and uh, appreciation of that and how how much giving and sharing goes against so much of what we um you know the kind of closed or tight definitions of what i need and what i have to have and who i am and what i can and can't do and give and what what keeps drawing us through and across the boundary of what we think we can do Generosity, dana. So it has that feel. It has that feel of liberation and freeing because it's ah, oh, you know. It, again, it, it kind of it it takes us through or cross a, a boundary. Or you know the sila, the this this uh, care, this. Uh, offering of 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 non-harming I was 
thinking about the strange happiness of the the um, commitment to the the kind of confidence in um, not harming, like walking through the world and knowing that you have this deep, deep commitment and willingness and wish to be a safe place for people. You know, and, and who knows what we're capable of and what conditions might bring forth from us. But, um, and that's a strange happiness, isn't it? Because it's not doing anything. <laughs> it's what you're not doing. That's what you're refraining from. What, you know, this sense of the offering of, of harmlessness, and the offering of care, um, just this, the way that I know for me at times, the strong urge to, to lash out in anger with words, or, you know, just, and feeling the power of that restraint, that commitment, holding, holding me, holding that difficult energy, saying, you know, just hang in there, or just hold your ground, um, and... Yeah, strange happiness because we're not giving in to a certain kind of acting out, um, which is somehow again so conditioned into us. So how about the strange happiness of contentment? Um, there's a, a teaching of the Buddha, perhaps you know it, of the four great contentments. And he advises us to, to be content with the food we have, the clothing we have, the lodging. And the bit that really, really kind of got me was any or none. <laughs> so, hmm? Say what? <laughs> Any food, lodging or clothing or none. And this is, what is this pointing to? This is something really radical, isn't it? This is a strange happiness, you know. To be content if we have none of that. So what is this pointing to, you know? It's, it's not a worldly happiness, is it? Well, I was also, when I was preparing this talk, I was remembering a time, it's been quite a lot of times in my life when I've, I've had very, very little money. And I remember there was one time I'd have a practice and I would have $5 and I would go and I would carefully spend it on little treats, I could get a pencil and maybe some chocolate and a cup of tea. And it would feel like this big party. <laughs> and I would have. And even that maybe is very extravagant compared to what a lot a lot of people in the world have access to. Um, but just 
again how countercultural that is, how counter conditioning, how how much we are again, you know, however much we have, we it's like such a practice to uh yeah, to, to be content with what we have and maybe sometimes we have more. And can we be okay with that? And I was imagining, you know, with the for the arms mendicants, you know, sometimes you get lots of wonderful food in your bowl. And I, I've never practiced in that way, but I can imagine, you know, and then maybe some days you get nothing. Any or none. Any or none. And how how can we how can we take that to heart in our own life? And the fourth great contentment the Buddha mentioned, which I think is just so beautiful, is the cultivation of wholesome states. So you have food, you have clothing, you have lodging, and you have this possibility, we, we have this opportunity to cultivate the wholesome. And can we be content with that? Do you see where that, yeah, that's so interesting because to me what that does is it helps to maybe um, keep bringing the practice home to here and now. Keep, you know, we get hooked into the, you know, in the future and then I'm going to be this and that's going to happen and that's, and then I'll be one of those and (laughs) great, I hope we all do, but um, in the meantime... (laughs) Can we be contented how fortunate we are? We can actually cultivate mindfulness. We can cultivate spiritual joy. We can cultivate patience. We can, you know, that actually, well, and again, I mean, maybe it's not to say we have that, but there is this uh, possibility what would it be to to really yeah it's like rest in that and that's a strange happiness isn't it it's like you haven't even got there yet and you're just really happy <laughs> why not <laughs> are you going to get there quicker by being miserable <laughs> and struggling a lot apparently apparently not although that's that's part of it of course sometimes so I wanted to share some words, sorry, words from the wise um, that I love from a teacher that is called Gendron Rinpoche from the Tibetan tradition. And f- for me, um, it's so um, helpful. We'll see. A couple of things he said. When we live in the present, joy arises for no reason. Hmm? And we live in the present. Joy arises for no reason. Hmm. What's that about? That's strange, isn't it? <laughs> and he also says, Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here 
in relaxation and letting go. Wait a minute, that can't be right. (laughs) What's he saying? (laughs) So this is strange, isn't it? Especially to, 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 to that part of us which is so convinced that that it's got to, you know, push and strive. And and it's not saying there's no effort, but so many of us, is, you know, so much of the time that's actually about doing less, right? And I just, you know, whether you say it's true or not, but just pragmatically speaking, for me, I don't know if this works for you, but that when I get that, oh, already here. Hmm. <sighs> yeah, kind of that, that helps me with that kind of settling back part of practice where you're like, oh. Doesn't that kind of undermine that kind of, you know, kind of going out and all that? So again, not you don't have to believe, but like as a skillful means, maybe already here. And how part of our mind is probably against, like, so, well, that can't be right. Anyway. <laughs> right, so the strange happiness of mindfulness, which is... Again, I I wasn't sure kind of what to say about this, but maybe I'll just pause for a couple of moments and invite you maybe just to reflect for yourself, kind of just here and now. Um, What for you is um, what you can sense or know or name of kind of the happiness of mindfulness. That, that it's not, it's not, um, well, what is it that is, again, maybe it's just a question for you to pick up or not, as you wish. Because I think part of why I think this reflection is, is helpful is, you know, we are pleasure-seeking creatures. So, some of the ways the Buddha is teaching is kind of encouraging us to see the uh, enjoyment in in our practice. So then we we can savor and enjoy, and some, something in us can be nourished, and our practice is supported by noticing, by tuning into, by opening to, without clinging, of course. Um, that which is actually, and it, it can be very quiet, it can be very, uh, yeah, very quiet happiness. It's maybe you could almost call it at ease or peaceful. I think this is a very, it can be a very moistening, you know, it brings a bit of energy and joy juice into our practice. Because can't it get a little bit, you know, serious and I'm doing a mindfulness, get out of the way. 
obviously I'm not the only one with that one. <laughs> yeah. And what if we're like, you know, somehow that that enjoyment I think helps to maybe soften the mindfulness, make it more flexible and bendy. So when someone else gets in our space and, you know, does the wrong thing, we're more like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Rather than <laughs> Yeah. So how how is mindfulness the happy the happiness time? <laughs> I mean I think, you know, one example that maybe for you, do you notice when you've been caught in some you know, storm, some kilesa, some hindrance. And then there's that moment where you really, you you kind of stop and you, oh, <laughs> thank you, oh. And isn't that a great moment? Isn't that, is, doesn't that feel like such a, a moment of, maybe we're not hopping around with joy, but just like, oh, something, something in us kind of is very, very relieved. So something in us is go, oh, finally you're being mindful. Thank God. Oh, so no God. Thank goodness. And so even even maybe there's still disturbance, there's still agitation or irritation or doubt. It's like, oh, oh, I'm with it, I'm with it. Oh. That that shift from being in it to with it. Wonderful. Happy, happy. Or just that sense that I feel so much amongst all of you here is that sense of deepening mindfulness, strengthening mindfulness. It's like, oh, so beautiful, so, so lovely. And again, from the point of view of craving, what's all the fuss about? You're not getting anything. (laughs) You're not controlling things. You're not making anything really different, but somehow everything is different. And this is where the image of, do you know the image of Mara from the Buddhist texts as personification of the kilesas and the hindrances? And he comes along, tries to trick the Buddha. And there's one image where Mara is like is likened to a, a big bird, like a, a bird of prey or something. And then it it's like, the Buddha, or you know, when we're really, really mindful, we're, we're like a rock, and the bird is pecking at the rock, and it can't, it can't find anything to get. Yeah, if that, I hope that makes some sense. Isn't that happy? Isn't that happy? Isn't that happy making? And this is kind of, we feel that sometimes, don't you feel like our oh, incoming? thought, negative thought, okay, here it comes, here it comes, and the mindfulness and, you know, the samadhi's there, and you're like, like this rock, Mara can get no purchase on you, hard luck Mara, see you next time, better luck next time, (laughs) yeah, so, what for you is the yeah the happiness of mindfulness like how fortunate we are to even know about this
So many, many strange happinesses in practice and, and maybe you can find your own. But one I wanted to mention, which is not, in a way, it doesn't feel like it's strictly Buddhist or, you know, canonical. But I really wanted to mention it because it feels like when I talk to you, I hear this happening for a lot of people in different ways. And it's, so bear with me as I try to name this. Because I think it sounds different, it sounds, but I think it is, it sort of is part of our practice. And it's something about coming home to ourselves or coming home to, okay, this is, this is what we got. <laughs> this is what's manifesting. Making peace with our life. Um, digesting. So there's a number of ways of, like different memories. You know, people report this like fragments of this and that and him and her and then and firing off. And sometimes there's some papancha around that. And sometimes it just comes through. And sometimes maybe there's some quite big emotional something and maybe there is a way where the f there's some way of more fully something needs to be more fully acknowledged before it can be let go right before we zap it with emptiness <laughs> maybe we have to let things sometimes more fully form you know ah that sadness about that. Here it is. And not proliferating and not more construction, but something about the past being healed in the way whatever is manifesting of that in body, in heart, in mind, in the present. That, that there's something one teacher called it a uh, metabolizing, which I really like. It's like all the knots, the karmic knots and the unresolved bits and pieces and the, somehow when we can attend to them with clarity and kindness, they, they metabolize, yeah? And then they become, in a way, energy again that 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 joins the system that joins life rejoining life so i don't know if that makes any sense to you if not i'm i'm sorry but <laughs> i just i wanted to name that because i feel like as many of you know it's like there's a sense where somehow in the fullness of mindfulness to me there's some sense of of this kind of healing of somehow without having to write an eight volume autobiography there is a sense of ah oh, you know somehow our life can be more and more held in the wholeness of this moment of each moment of the unfolding of our life in the here and now. So we'll, we'll see. You can tell me if that was a load of nonsense tomorrow. <laughs> and I wanted to share with you uh, one poem from a great poet, uh, 
called Derek Walcott, who has some bearing on this matter. It's a poem he wrote called Love After Love. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself, arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you have ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Feast on your life. So somehow for me there's a strange paradox there of the, the acceptance and the embracing of all of what experience presents to us. Somehow it's in that embracing and that encompassing and that inclusion that somehow paradoxically allows us to let go, let be to actually genuinely uh, see uh, the emptiness of, of things, the, the insight, the truths, the truths of, of the unsatisfactoriness of this conditioned existence. Uh, these strange happinesses of insight, of wisdom, which again go so much counter to the stories of craving that the happiness that's possible from knowing, deeply knowing again and again until it's part of our you know, being, that the truth of change, the truth of impermanence, and how we, we have to be revisited by this knowledge again and again, so that it gradually seeps into our being. And finally, you know, there's a, a relinquishment of all craving, of all the stories of me and mine and I and what should and what shouldn't. And there is this resting in just, yeah, a knowing and an understanding that doesn't deny anything, but, yeah, sees, sees with wisdom and has, as you well know, a deep happiness and joy, you know, a kind of an exquisite peace or love that craving cannot get its head around at all. <laughs> Just doesn't get it at all. 
So it's allowing ourselves, I think, to in different ways in our practice, and I hope I've pointed to a few, and that to to allow the this wise enjoyment to uh, deepen our sense of happiness in the practice and happiness in the path that will um, help us to flower, you know, to open in, in, in a way and on a timetable all its own. <laughs> it is not anything to do with what we might think it should be. I um, want to share a lovely uh, quote from Ajahn Jimnian, I think one of the Thai forest tradition teachers. He said, happy, happy, empty, empty. <laughs> so there's a nice little potted teaching. So, happy, happy, empty, empty. <laughs> lovely. Um so um, maybe I'll draw this to a close. Um, Yeah, so I'd like to share with you one of my top ten Dharma quotes of all time. <laughs> one I love to share again and again. So those of you who know it, um, heard it a lot, I hope. So we'll just close with this. And um, yeah, it's from the great Thai forest master Ajahn Chah. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So thank you for your attention. Let's just sit quietly for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.